Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice, let the earth be glad, let the sea resound and all that is in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. Let all creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. Thank you, Carl. Get rid of that rubbish. What's going on? Look how neat yours is. I know. I can't work in circumstances like this. Let's bow together in prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, this is one of the most important things that we will do all week to stop and to think hard about who you are, to think hard about who you've revealed yourself to be in the Bible. Lord, we're starving for a glimpse of you and of your glory. And Lord, our world is starving for a glimpse of you and of your glory. And so, Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes and our hearts to see that, to be filled to overflowing with the greatness of who you are, with your love in Christ Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, as Chris said, this afternoon at our 4 p.m. service, we're commissioning Kate for her work in uh, South Asia. It's uh, hard to believe, I think, that Kate is leaving. She said uh, a, few, a few weeks ago, sorry, when she was up here speaking, that she'd been here for six years, I think it was. Uh, and it's, I t- tell you what, she's not here, so I can say this, it's, I've felt every, every day of those six years. Crumbs. No, it's... it's Actually, she said, it's a funny story, actually. She was, I had to meet with uh, the, the uh, CMS state director, and, uh, and Kate said to me, she said, I said to him, he'll probably say nice things about me to you, but he won't say nice things about me to my face. So there you go, that's, that's Kate's view of uh, what kind of person I am. Uh, but she's been part of our church for six years now, and uh, it's sad that uh, she'll be leaving us this week. But it's great, isn't it, that as a church we can be supporting 
her and praying for her and encouraging her as she takes the gospel uh, to people who, who need to hear it, to, as she takes the, go- the good news uh, to those who don't know the good news uh, and who need to know about God. Uh, and Kate said, as we, uh, as we thought about today and, uh, and the commissioning this afternoon and uh, about what would be good to think through on this day that she leaves us, she said, well, since we're working through the Psalms, why don't we do a Psalm that, that speaks about mission? And so that's what I want to do this morning, uh, to think about a Psalm which speaks about mission. Now, you might read Psalm 96, as we just read it just before. You might look at Psalm 96 and think, well, actually, it looks more like it's a psalm about worship. Uh, It's about singing, it's about praising. But actually, this psalm, at the heart of this psalm, is mission uh, and the mission of God. This psalm tells us, I think, three things. It tells us uh, what the mission is, uh, it tells us the why of mission, uh, and it tells us the who of mission. So first, this psalm tells us what to do. It's filled with commands, sing, praise, proclaim, declare, ascribe, bring, worship, say. So verses 1 and 2, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Uh, Those two verses contain three different commands. So they tell us to sing. So we're to sing a new song. Uh, Why are we to sing? Uh, Well, singing is one of the ways as human beings that we express our deepest emotions. Uh, Whether that's sorrow or whether that's joy, we often do that through song. If you don't believe it, just watch, uh, you know, once the footy season starts up again, watch the last few minutes of the broadcast and what you will see is all the fans and the team sharing their excitement together by singing the team song. Sometimes I just stop and go, what is going on here? How is this still part of our culture? It's so bizarre. Uh, And yet, that is how we do it. I go to a concert and people uh, express their shared joy, their their shared feelings together. Uh, Here in this psalm, the emotion that's being expressed is joy. And the psalm is saying that we ought to craft such songs that we can express together as God's people our shared joy in who God is and all that he's done. We ought to sing together because that encourages us, that that, that praises God and it, it, it joins us together in that joy. Second, we should praise his name. Uh, to understand what praise is, I think, it helps to compare praise to thanks. Uh, so we thank somebody because of something that they do for us. Uh, so, you know, they might make something for us and we say, thank you. But when we praise someone, it's not because they've done something for us directly, but because there's a quality about them in themselves that we, rem- that we regard as remarkable and wonderful. So I've never met Roger Federer, uh, and uh, he doesn't know who I am, I'm guessing, uh, unless he's read my my book, I'm sure he has. Um, He's never done anything for me, uh, but I can still praise him for being a great tennis player, can't I? I can't really thank him for anything, Uh, he's never done anything for me, but I can praise him, I can say to other people, did you see the game the other night where Federer played whoever it was? Did you see his backhand? That has got to be the most beautiful thing that has ever been seen on a tennis court. It's extraordinary. Even though I can't thank him for anything, I can praise him. 
And of course, God does know us. Uh, He has done things for us, and we can thank him for that. But we should also praise him for the things that he just is, for who he is, not only for the things that he's done, but for who he is. We ought to praise God, sing a new song, and praise his name. The third thing in verse 7 we're told to do is to ascribe glory to God. Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Uh, Ascribing is not something that we do uh, very often. Well, it's not something we talk about doing. I was just at the shops the other day. I was just ascribing uh, something, you know, to someone. I was just totally ascribing someone in an email the other day. We don't really talk like that, do we? Uh, But it means, really, to ascribe something to someone means to regard someone as the cause of something or to regard uh, a quality as belonging to that person. So the Hebrew word just means to give something. So we might also say attribute. So we attribute to someone a great char- some characteristic. Uh, we attribute in this psalm to the Lord glory and strength. Give to him the glory that is due. That's what this psalm is saying. Uh, we are to attribute to God what really belongs to him and comes from him. Now, If you step back for a moment and think about who God is and who we are and what the world is, really that means that we ought to attribute everything to God because everything fundamentally comes from God and is received from his hand. Uh, Everything that we have in the world is from his gracious hand. So to attribute to God means that when it's a beautiful day, saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. It means when God answers prayer saying, the Lord has heard my cry for mercy. It means that when we have food on the table saying, the Lord supplies all my needs. We need to attribute to God the things that he has given to us and done for us. Then the last part of verse 8, we're told, bring an offering and come into his courts. So this is using uh, the Old Testament uh, kind of language, the Old Testament Uh, way of worshipping God. So within the context of the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system uh, and that was the way of expressing devotion to God. Coming into his courts referred to coming into the temple, the courts of the temple, where people went to worship God. So in the Old Testament, God had commanded the people to worship him in that way, through sacrifices, through a physical temple, as a kind of a living illustration of, what, of the nature of what worship was. What does it mean to worship God? Well, it means costly adoration of God. It means drawing near to God in gratitude and love. We no longer need those things, those sacrifices and the temple, uh, in fact, we're told in the New Testament that if we belong to Jesus, then we are, we are the temple uh, of God. The Holy Spirit lives in us and our lives are the sacrifices that we offer. So wherever we are is the place where we worship God and the thing that we bring to offer to him is our very lives. Related to that command is in verse 9, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Uh, The term to worship means to bow down, and there's this sense there of awe and wonder. Uh, That's why the second half of the verse says we're to tremble. We're to have this awe and this wonder of God. Uh, 
we bow down and we tremble before God on account of his holiness, of his, on account of his power, on account of his majesty. So we're to praise God, we're to sing, we're to uh, worship, we're to come into his courts, we're to bow down, we're to tremble. But what's interesting, I think, about this psalm is that sandwiched in between all these other commands uh, are commands about proclaiming and declaring the glory of God to others. So according to verse 2, we should praise God, sing to him, but also proclaim his salvation day after day. The word proclaim is a term that's used to refer to a message a messenger, sorry, bringing a message or announcing news. So it could be used, for example, to describe a herald who was returning from a battle with the message of victory. They, were, they would come back and they would proclaim what had happened. Uh, it's related to the term that's used in the New Testament for evangelism, to proclaim the good news. It's announcing to people the good news of what God has done. So we're to proclaim his salvation. Then in verse 3, we're to declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. Or verse 10, we're to say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The idea is that there's news, there's stuff to tell about God that people need to hear. If something exciting happens to you or if you hear about something exciting that uh, has happened to somebody else or on the news or whatever it is, then you tell people about it, you proclaim it, you announce it. You say, you'll never guess what happened to me this week. You know, and if it's exciting, you can't wait to tell someone, can you? You, you know, the first chance that you get, you're just waiting for them to, to end their boring bit of the conversation. So you can jump in with, you'll never guess what happened to me this week. Of course, they don't care because they're waiting to tell their exciting news as well. But that's what we say, you'll never believe what happened in the cricket the other day. You know, you'll never believe, did anyone see that sign fall off the, on, the, on the highway in Melbourne? That was incredible. And I found myself in the next few days going, did anyone see that sign that came off the, <laughs> that fell off? If we're excited about something, we want to tell people about it. I've lost count of the number of times, forgive me if I've said this before, I've lost count of the number of times that people have come to me and said, Carl, I got a Thermomix. you won't believe how it's changed my life. <laughs> it's, it's incredible. It's, they're almost in tears <laughs> as, they say, as they say to me, God, it's changed my life, the gospel. Oh no, the thermomix. <laughs> but it's true, isn't it? There's nothing wrong with great things changing our lives. When things, when things like that happen, we want to tell people, tell people about it. And that's what this psalm is saying that we ought to do with God's salvation in Jesus. If, if we know what God has done, if we're excited about what God has done, then we will be unable to keep ourselves from saying, you'll never guess what God has done. You'll never guess what God has done for me in Jesus. And not just you'll never guess what God has done for me 2,000 years ago in Jesus, but you'll never guess what God has done for me this week, how God has been loving me and caring for me and giving me all that I need. And according to verse 2, we don't just do that once, 
but day after day. Proclaim his salvation day after day. That is forever. Uh, I don't know about you, but there are, there are things that, I, that happened to me years ago that I'm still telling as stories. You know, you go to the party and you, and you wheel out that old story, you know, whatever everyone else is telling their ex- exciting stories about what have happened and, and, uh, and you, you pull out your story a number of years ago, a couple of years ago, through a friend of a friend of a friend of a friend, you know, it's kind of a, an intimate connection, uh, I found myself at Government House in New South Wales uh, on New Year's Eve, opposite, tucked in behind the Opera House, opposite the Harbour Bridge, fenced off from the crowds and the masses. Uh, just beautiful, lush grass, we were playing soccer, while everyone else was kind of crammed into their spots on their little picnic blankets, struggling over shared toilets. We were just playing soccer, you know? And what's that one with the, you know, we hit at croquet. It was just, it was palatial. I'm still telling that story, clearly. Uh, it was exciting. But this psalm is saying, if we're excited about what God has done, then that is how we will speak about what he has done for us. We will tell it, not just once, but day after day. We'll be that guy at the party who's telling the same story. Oh, here we go. Here's Carl telling the New Year's Eve story again. That's what we'll be like. People are like, here they are. Here they are. They're talking about God again. But not because we feel that we have to, but because we're so full of what God has done that we can't help but speak about it. Day after day, we'll proclaim his glory among the nations. What are we to do? We're to sing, we're to praise, proclaim, declare, ascribe, bring, worship, and say. But what we need to understand is that those things are not all different things, but they're all the ways of saying the same thing. That's why this psalm puts those things side by side. It puts singing beside telling. It puts praising beside declaring. It does that because they are the same thing. What this psalm shows us is so important, I think, for us to understand. It shows us that worship and evangelism are not two different things, but the same thing. So we tend to think of sharing the gospel evangelism in narrow terms. We think of it as explaining to people the gospel. This is how it works. And that's part of it. But this psalm shows us that actually... A large part of it is declaring the glory of God. You won't believe who God is. You won't believe what he's like. You won't believe what he's done for us in Jesus Christ. Peter repeats that idea in the New Testament. He says, you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wonderful light. Evangelism is an act of worship. It's done through singing, through praising, declaring, worshipping and telling. Evangelism is saying to someone, God reigns. God is glorious. God is wonderful. God is awesome. He's the king of the universe. He's magnificent. And it's doing that among the nations. That is, it's doing that among people who don't know. It's telling them the wonders of God. And in fact, even what we do here on Sunday is as much worship as it is evangelism. We're not hiding away here. We have a public meeting that anyone can come to, to which anyone is welcome. And in our gatherings, people can hear about who God is 
and what he's done in Jesus. And what they can see is they can see a shared commitment and a shared joy in God, hopefully. Tim Keller writes uh, that even in the Old Testament, people recognized that the temple and their gatherings were places where people could overhear the message of who God is. He says, the temple was to be the center of world-winning worship. The people of God not only worship before the Lord, but also before the nations. And as he is praised by his people, the nations are summoned and called to join in song. When we come here, we should think not only that we're coming to worship God, to declare his praises so he can hear us, we're coming to declare his praises so that others can hear us. So that anyone who comes in can see that we are consumed with the love and the glory and the majesty of God. And what we do here on Sundays then ought to invade and spread out into every area of our lives. Our lives ought to be full of the praise and the glory of God, declaring who he is and what he has done among the nations. So the psalm tells us what to do. We're to praise God so that people can hear it. Second, it tells us why. If we are to praise God, if that is our, our great purpose, if we are to say that God is glorious, then we need to know why he's glorious. Why is he praiseworthy? And this psalm gives us reasons. It says in verse 1, we're to sing a new song to the Lord. Now, we're told to sing a new song, not because old, uh, new songs are better than old songs. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they're worse. Sometimes you think, crumbs, this is awful. Let's go back and sing the song that, from 200 years ago. It's not because new songs are better than old songs. The reason we sing a new song is because every day heralds a new act of God. Every day heralds a new act of God's kindness, a new grace, a new gift. The point is that we should praise God because every day he's doing new things, giving new gifts, being kind to us in new ways. Every day is a new opportunity to experience the love and the kindness that God has expressed for us in Jesus Christ. Every breakfast is a gift. You might not think it's a gift, but it is. Uh, Every breath is a gift. Every kindness that you receive from other people is ultimately a kindness from God. In verse 2, we're told to tell of his salvation. God has rescued us from death and judgment. He's rescued rescued us from an empty and, and pointless way of life. He's rescued us from our own evil hearts. He's rescued us from ignorance of him. He sent his own son to stand in our place. He sent his own son to die the the death that we deserved. He, He sent his son to exhaust our condemnation, to conquer death to forge a new humanity in himself, to rebuild the world that we messed up, to recover what we lost, the honour and the dignity that God created us to have, but that we lost by rebelling against God. Jesus has restored that, recovered that. We have the story of a perfect king who rules and who can restore justice in a broken world. We have a perfect king who not only restores justice, but who's willing to forgive those who humble themselves before him. We're to tell of God's great salvation. Verse 3, we're to declare God's marvellous deeds. God's marvellous deeds include those great works of salvation in Jesus. But it's broader than that too. So 
Here are some of the things that the Bible describes as God's wonders. Spreading out the earth, that is making the earth, establishing the sun, the moon and the stars, rescuing God's people from slavery in Egypt, giving rain on the earth, lifting up the lowly, frustrating the wicked, catching out the crafty, saving the needy. Every single moment of our lives, the Bible says, is not only a gift, it's a wonder. It's a miracle. Uh, I was watching the sunset the other day, uh, and uh, it's a great time of year, actually, isn't it, to, to watch the sun setting, and the sky was filled with just wonderful kind of oranges and blues. Uh, and as I watched it, I thought to myself, there are, there are some wonderful paintings, aren't there, that people have, have painted of sunsets, but, you know, we paint, a, we paint a sunset, and we spend hours doing one painting, and we hang it on the wall, and we look at it, and it's the same day after day, year after year after year. But God is painting a new sunset every second. For six billion people, somewhere across the world, there's a person who's seeing a new sunset, a sunset from a whole different perspective than anyone else. And that's God's prodigious creativity. Every moment, it changes from one glory to another, and it's never the same anywhere. And each of those billion sunsets is a wondrous deed of God. In verse 4 and 5, we're to praise God because he is the real God. Every other God is a fake God. They're gods of our own imagination. They're, they're idols that we put in the place of the real God. A fake God is anything that uh, we give ourselves to serving in the hope that it will redeem us and rescue us and give us joy and meaning. Lots of people in the world make fake gods out of uh, stone and wood and they set them up in their houses uh, or in their temples and they serve them uh, and they worship them. But a fake God doesn't just have to be made out of stone and wood. We can make fake gods out of relationships. Uh, we look to our relationship and hope that it will save us from our despair uh, or our loneliness or our meaninglessness or whatever it is, we serve our money and hope that it will protect us and give us a certain future. We, we, we worship our power and we hope that somehow it will make our lives exactly what we want them to be. But all those are fake gods. They let us down. And only the God of the Bible is the real God. Only the God of the Bible made the heavens. Verse 6, Splendor and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. What relationship made the world? What relationship makes the sun come up in the morning and set in the evening? What money can build a universe? Praise God because he is the real God. Then in verse 10, we're to praise God because he reigns. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. God is in control. That means the world is firmly established. Nothing can happen that out, that's outside the plan and the purpose of God. Even if we can't understand everything, he's in control. We can trust that God is working all things together for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. And finally, in the last part of verse 13, the reason for delighting in God is his justice. 
Let all the creation rejoice before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. God won't let injustice and oppression continue forever. The day is coming when he will judge the world in righteousness. We don't have to guess what that day will bring. We don't have to wonder how God will judge the world. We don't have to wonder what his criteria will be for judging the world because God's plan to judge the world is very simple. He will condemn those who've refused to acknowledge him and humble themselves before him. And he will have mercy on those who receive his gift in Jesus Christ. It's very simple. And it's incredibly just. It depends on nothing that we can achieve, but whether we acknowledge who God is and receive his gift in Jesus Christ. What an extraordinary act of grace and kindness. There are people in the world who are slaving away, trying to earn God's forgiveness, trying to earn their way to God. And yet God says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So this psalm tells us what to do. We ought to praise God so people can hear it. It tells us why, because of God's marvellous deeds. Finally, this psalm tells us who should praise God. You see, what's so remarkable, I think, about this psalm is that the who, who is praising God is not just the people who already know God, the who who is praising God is the whole world. The great hope of this psalm is that everyone would come to praise God as he deserves and to delight in God as their greatest joy. Look look with me through the psalm again. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. Verse 3, declare his glory among the nations. His marvellous deeds among all peoples. Verse 7, ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Verse 9, tremble before him all the earth. This psalm is not simply inviting us to go to where the nations are and to praise God there. This psalm is not simply saying to us, we should go there so that they can hear about it. This psalm is saying, we should go there so that they can praise God as well. It's inviting all the nations, all the peoples of the earth to love him and to honour him. In fact, as this psalm gets toward the end, the praise moves just from from just people to the whole creation. God's glory is so magnificent, so electrifying, so consuming that the whole creation has to cry out to God in its own way. Look at verse 11. Let the heavens rejoice. That is the skies. Let the earth be glad. Let the sea resound and all that's in it. Let the fields be jubilant and everything in them. Let all the trees of the forest sing for joy. The heavens delight in God. The stars and the planets. The sea exalts in him. The fields rejoice over him. The trees sing. Now what does that mean? They're inanimate, right? It means that every sparkle of light from a distant star and every crash of a wave on a beach and every dance of the grass in the fields and every rustle of the leaves in the trees, that all those things are a chorus of praise to the glory of God. All those things exalt the greatness and the wonder of God. They can't help acknowledging the wonder and the glory of God. Because 
their very existence is a testimony to the wonder and the glory of God. Creation can't help speaking of who God is and how great he is. You only have to look out the window. But here's the unspeakable tragedy. If an inanimate object like a tree or a wave or even something that can't speak like a bird or an animal, if those things can honour and praise God and glorify God, what kind of abject failure is it that conscious, thinking, acting, deciding human beings don't honour and praise God as he deserves. Creation can't help it. And we choose not to. Creation does it by its very existence. We do it. We can't help doing it by our very existence in the same way. All the good in us, our kindness, love, compassion, our very existence testifies to the glory of God. And yet, in our rational minds, we say, I will not praise you. The glory is mine, not yours. What kind of unspeakable tragedy is it? that the world testifies to the glory of God, our existence testifies to the glory of God, but throughout the world there are people who will not give God the glory or are so ignorant of God that they don't know that he is the great source of everything. And there is the key driver for mission, the key driver for making the gospel known, for making God known is that we were made to know God and to enjoy God and to delight in God. And God is worthy of our praise and worthy of our honour. But so many people don't know God or they do know God and yet refuse to honour him. As John Piper has said, mission exists because worship doesn't. The end goal is not mission. The end goal is the honour and the glory and the delight in the God who made us and who loves us. So often when we try to motivate people to mission, each other to mission and to sharing the good news of Jesus with the people around us and those around the world who don't know Jesus, we do that by focusing on the people So we say people are lost and they need to hear the good news. And that's true. And the Bible rightly emphasizes that our love for the lost ought to motivate us. But the most fundamental reason that the Bible gives us permission is not that. The most fundamental reason the Bible gives permission is that God is glorious and he deserves our honor and praise. What ought to drive us to share the gospel with people is that God is glorious. But the only way that that can happen, the only way that that will motivate us, 
is if we really feel that God is glorious in the first place and that God is worthy and deserving of honour. We'll only be motivated by the glory of God if we're captivated by the glory of God. We will speak because we love God and we're jealous for him that people would know and honour him. We need not only a greater love for the lost, in other words, we need a greater delight in God. We need to love him with all our hearts, to delight in him every moment of the day. We need to be so full of God, so enthralled by God, so captivated by God, that our joy in God just bubbles out of our lives. We can't help speaking about it. It's not a chore. We don't worry about what people will think of us. What will they say if I say that God's glorious and wonderful? It's not even a question that enters our head because it's such a a fundamental conviction. It's a delight that exudes out of us. We need to pray for that. We need to pray that that joy and that delight would take root in our hearts. But we also need to create space for that as well. At the end of the day, we'll only get to that place of delighting in God uh, and, and engaging in mission for that reason if we actually make space to think about who God is and to think about what he's done and to think about why he's glorious and majestic and wonderful. It won't just happen. We won't just roll out of bed one morning and say, oh, I think God's wonderful. It will only happen if we set ourselves to thinking about who he is and reflecting on what he's done. We live in a world that pushes that kind of deep reflection away from us. Technology and the news and social media and just the kind of incessant buzz uh, and, and frenetic pace of life lures us away from thinking about who God is. And we live in a world which just generally, in terms of its thinking, pushes us away from God. It pushes God away. It pushes God behind the curtain so that we can't see him. It explains everything in terms of scientific laws and rational processes, which is true, but behind those stands a God, a loving God, who uses those for our good. But because of those pressures, distraction, in a world which pushes God behind a curtain, what that means is that you and I need to carve out time and space to stop and to reflect and to sink deeply into the joy of God. That won't happen of its own. We need to carve out time for doing that. And that's why we're here, isn't it? We're here this morning to do that. We're here every week to do that. Because we need to stop the noise and turn off our phones and sit down quietly and hear God speak and hear who God is and why he's glorious and why we should delight in him. And we need to stop and we need to tell God that he's glorious and we need to delight in God and we need to encourage each other to do that as well. 
And if God is kind, as we do that, our love and our delight in God will grow and we'll declare his glory, not just here, but everywhere. We'll declare his glory in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our sports clubs. We'll declare his glory and we won't think twice about it because our hearts will be captivated by the glory and the wonder and the majesty of God. Let's pray for that now. Oh Lord, that you would rend the heavens and come down and show yourself to us and your glory and your majesty. Except, Lord, that you have in Jesus Christ. You have sent your own Son into our world to show us who you are, how wonderful you are, to open our eyes so that we can see what is a daily testimony to you in all of creation. Lord, we confess that uh, our hearts are so dull towards you that we find it so easy to be captivated and excited about our new kitchen appliances or our new television or our new uh, car or house, our new pursuit, our new hobby. And yet, Lord, we find it so hard to be consumed and captivated by your glory and your wonder. Uh, And yet, Lord, we live in a world which every moment is a testimony to who you are. So, Lord, we ask that you would forgive us for that, but more than that, Lord, that that you would write those truths on our hearts, that we would never look out the window again without seeing your glory, that we would never look at another human being without seeing something, broken as it might be, of the image of God. Lord, we pray that we would never have a day go by when we're not enthralled by your love in sending Jesus Christ to redeem us and rescue us through his death and resurrection. And that we pray that those things would just overflow from our hearts in prayer and praise to you, in the quiet moments of our lives, as we gather here on Sundays and encourage each other, and as we go about our lives, that we would speak and declare and proclaim and praise and sing among the nations so that all the earth would rejoice in your glory. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.